This is Josie Brown with Author Provocateur. In USA Today best-selling author Kara Ruda's latest domestic suspense novel, Somebody's Home, the sale of the house isn't a fresh start, but the beginning of a nightmare. Julie Jones has left her suffocating marriage. She's hoping that her new house is the first step toward a new life with her teenage daughter, Jess. However, the previous owner has left something, or rather someone, behind. Tom Dean has a seething hatred for the father who considers him a lost cause. He's now extended his malice to the woman who has purchased the only home he's ever known. She thinks he'll be gone in three days, but Tom has the perfect plan for the single mother and her daughter. Before the weekend is over, somebody is going to get exactly what they deserve. Kara and I discuss where she gets her novel's premises, her process for bringing her everyday characters to life, how young adults become disenfranchised from the rest of the world and are conjoled into domestic terrorism, and why it's important to lift the curtain on the dark side of our everyday lives. You gave the reader every homeowner's worst nightmare. I mean, every new homeowner is going to be like, oh my God, oh my God, I hope this never happens to me. And I, I just want to ask you, how did you come up with this plot? I know, you know, it's interesting. I, I guess probably because we were all at home during the pandemic, <laughs> like, especially during that lockdown time. And I just started to think, well, okay, so we feel pretty safe in our home. But obviously, as a suspense writer, I had to kind of flip that on its head. So I think that's where the idea came from. I'm not really sure. But the whole idea of if, what if your home, like your dream home, isn't what you think it's going to be and it's out of your control and that's kind of where it started oh wow I mean I tell you I've been in a situation you know when where I purchased a home and you know there will be tenants and I I remember especially here in California there are things you can do you know but it, it takes 60 days to do it which is why they want everybody off the premises and that kind of stuff and I was just thinking about how how they could have sued the realtor on this one. <laughs> she was trying to move quickly and under the radar, you know, so she kind of went along with things that she shouldn't. Ah, uh, yes, yes. I forgot about that. And, you know, I, I do want to talk about our protagonist, Julie, and also the fact that in this particular story, she's a mother and it's really two mothers stories. And you know, you've got Julie, who is the trophy wife. She's married to that narcissistic captain of the universe, Roger. And then you have the other wife, Sandy, who is very sweet, very non-assuming. And she's married to a truly bombastic evangelical preacher, Doug. And, um, you know, both women, though, come to a point where they realize that their lives and their relationships They've made horrible choices for different reasons. These women, I feel, are different. But you tell me how you feel that they are alike. How did they end up on their colliding journeys? Yeah, I agree. And thank you for that observation. I, I do think it is a story about moms and the fact that moms will do anything to, at least in this story, protect their kids. Some of my moms and my other books aren't that great, but, but these moms are, they really want their kids to have a great life. And, and it comes down to choices that they have to make about their relationships and their husbands to make sure they can protect their kids. 
Right, right. And um, in Julie's case, she realizes that the only way to leave her husband is to literally walk out and have a place ready because he has so much power that he could essentially, if he doesn't flip her emotionally, he can, you know, put a battery of attorneys against her. And I know she's been preparing for this for a long, long time. Um, she in particular kind of tore at my heart because she seemed to have seriously lost her way. I mean, she's done everything she can to physically change herself, but she still can't bury the insecurities that have come with being poor, with being raised by a single mom. She had the, you know, additional issue of, oh, they're one of the few Jewish families in the area. So she has no real community there either. I mean, her mom was her community. And I know that she had a hard time, I felt, leaving her mom just from what I read. When you talk about somebody who has gone through such a drastic change in who they are, their personality, I'm sure you kept layering her in and layering her in as a character or as the person that you knew she had to be to get through what issues you're going to put in her path. <laughs> I know, unfortunately. I know. I do. I, you know, with these characters, they kind of pop into my head. I'm a pantser, so I don't really have an outline, so to speak. I just uh, usually starts with the title and kind of the notion of belonging, somebody's home, and then uh, Tom actually started out in my brain. And then, of course, yeah, everybody else followed. But for Julie, I think what she's done, as you said, is she's, changed everything outwardly about herself and she you know moved across the country tried to start her own career ended up finding roger and finding a really fast path to what she thought she'd always wanted which was money and a beautiful home and you know all of that stuff and so by the time you meet her in the story she is kind of trapped in this gilded cage of her own creation and she's realized that it is a trap and that she needs to save both herself and her daughter I think what to me was interesting about her journey is that her daughter is a senior in high school. So, I mean, she's almost waited too long, right? The she's Her daughter's about to go to college. So she's really, really realizes that she's got to do it now or never. Right, right. Uh, I want to start talking about Tom because he really, he really, it's interesting. I, I hope I did the right thing. I kind of went back and forth on hoping for him, wondering how far he'd go. He's Sandy's stepson, and he has essentially been cast aside by his father, Roger. And, and Roger is blaming him for his mother leaving him when he was a small child, you know, leaving Roger. And then, of course, he meets Sandy. He marries Sandy. He has two sons with Sandy, and Tom feels like he's been shuttled to the side. And he's got such a, an emotional tear inside of him. You've kind of really layered on him as far as how he became who he is. What was your process with that? Well, you know, with the father, like Doug, I guess I, I wanted to show how Tom got to be the way he is. But I think if you um, started out by showing all the things he's gone through, I didn't want you to feel completely sympathetic. I mean, he has made his own choices, right? And they're not the best choices. But his foundational hurt was that his mom left. And you don't really know why she left, but you suspect it was likely because of 
his dad, right? It's like she had to get away. So just that notion of being left at an early age, even though Sandy came into the family and became his stepmom and did everything she could to try to make him feel love and feel at home, even though they went on to have other sons too. You know, he just has this foundational hole in his heart. And then to feel rejected by his own dad because his dad thinks he's a loser. His dad doesn't understand him. He doesn't think he's, you know, amount to anything. So he's just discarded by his dad. So all of that kind of goes together to make Tom very vulnerable to outside influences that, because again, it's about belonging and he wants to belong and he wants to have a sense of belonging. And so he finds it with the wrong people. Right. I want to talk about the people that he finds it with. I know the term incel, but I'd love for you to explain it to the listener. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I started doing some research on all the kind of domestic terrorist groups and like how people are kind of connected in this web of um, hatred. And my editor keeps reminding me that I need to stay in the entertainment side, not so much. So I did a lot of research. I did have a lot, and there was a lot more in the book about all of that, but then I just kind of pulled it back a little bit to make them really bad guys. But the term incel means celibate by choice. Um, these are men who have decided really that the women are to blame for everything that's wrong in the world. And if you are weak and, and succumb like to dating a woman or, or letting a woman into your life, then they will ruin you mm. pretty much. And it's, it's a scary notion that, that somebody would feel that way about women in general, that they would share that, that there are groups of people that share that. And um, yeah, so that's what his new friends, at least a couple of them believe that. Wow. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, the, the whole, I think the pivot in the book is that there's still a bit of him that wants to not to belong to this very dark, dark group, but uh, to be normal, to be a normal guy. And, and when he sees um, Jess, who's Julie's daughter, all of a sudden he sees a possibility that, you know, he's got feelings for her. And she being the innocent that she is, I mean, she's 18 years old, but at the same time, you know, she's a senior in high school. At the same time, I think that we all, um, when we're 18, we feel like we know it all. You know, we're, we're straddling two worlds and we're, we think that, that we can um, be cool and be adult. And at the same time, we're not adult at all. We know nothing. <laughs> we know nothing. Right. And, and Jess is just like that. I mean, she's grown up in a very um, privileged environment and, you know, had been sheltered all her life. I mean, her, her father can pay for anything that she wants and that's how he shows affection. So she pretty much hasn't seen the darker side of the world. Right. She's chosen not to. So, and that's kind of how she's been raised. So it's really not her fault, but she is very naive and not worldly. I mean, she knows designer brands, but she doesn't know, like, this side of the world. Right. She hasn't been on that side of the tracks. You know, you made it very clear that there's two sides of town. And um, I like the way you've made it so that the parents don't really help their children in this posh environment where they're really helicopter. I mean, instead of allowing them to make their own mistakes and suffer the consequences, they do things that are the antithesis of that. They have to shelter the children to the utmost degree. Um, you know, I raised my kids in a county that was so similar to that. You know, the the mothers always flew in to smooth things out. You know, I, you know, I remember when my daughter was little, she would say, 
oh, I can't play with this one girl because if I do anything that the girl doesn't like, I, the mother stalks me on the playground. I mean, and this was this was like at, you know, 12. So. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I know. And, and it's really it is a very similar occurrence. And that's what I find in my stories, whether I set them in Columbus, Ohio or Dallas, Texas or, you know, wherever, just wherever there's a suburb where there's privilege and entitlement. And, you know, that I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure my kid is the best blah, and I'm going to protect them no matter what. And they can't feel consequences because that would make their record tarnished or their sports scholarship to college would vanish or whatever it is. Yeah, I'm going to fix it. And it works a lot of times. <laughs> it does. I mean, it doesn't work in the long term for the kids' best interest, but it, it does seem to work, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree with you. I think that it's got a, a different consequence in the long term because they think that's always going to be there and that's not always going to be there. And in this particular case, um, Jess, you know, she lives sort of a wild life. I think her parents are aware of it, but they kind of let it slide. Um, but now she is flirting with a guy who thinks she's serious and thinks that she wants really to get out of there and he thinks he has the answer for her. You know, she's college bound. He's not. He has a plot that his buddies and him have concocted and she knows nothing about this. I love the way the whole thing turned on their relationship. It kind of brought it to a head. Um, when you did your research on the Toms of the world, how did you come up with how he was going to prove his value to his buddies, to his father, who he's estranged with? That must have been a very hard thing for you to do. It really took me by surprise how what his plot was going to be. Uh, and, I, and I loved how, it, how you ended up pulling it through. I won't give any spoilers away, but I, I think you did some really good stuff to pull it through. Thank you. You know, in the research I did, and I sat in um, a few congressional hearings, actually, too, with experts on um, global white supremacy, um, global domestic terrorism, how it's not just domestic, it's, it's a network. And like I said, I think when you look back on the Timothy McVeigh um, bombings, and there's a direct line from that action, which we all thought was a lone wolf one-off to everything that's happened subsequently and continues to happen. So it's kind of um, the notion of, again, belonging. So if you create this group, and, and like I said, I have to stay a little away from real-world stuff, even though I read a lot about it to um, get to this plot, I guess, there's a lot of uh, notions of proving yourself or like to become it, whether you're a lone wolf or you want to be in a group, it's almost like a gang initiation, but it's it's different. It's like, oh, wow, well, okay, these people in Europe did this kind of thing, and I'm going to replicate it and do it even better. You know, there's a lot of different <laughs> ways to get attention in the world, and this particular group doesn't necessarily want him to get discovered. They use code names and dark web and all that good stuff, but they want to know that he's capable of doing something that they've kind of set him up and ginned him up to do. So that's without giving away what, what he's up to. He knows that to belong to this group, he needs to, to do this. And he's wanted to do this in his mind. He's imagined doing this, but to kind of equip him and give him training and give him like all of the tools necessary to follow through is, is what this group's done for him. Wow. Yeah, that to me, it just tore my heart that the susceptibility of 
I mean, he's a child, too. I mean, he's a young adult, but he is a child. And, you know, I can't even imagine how disconnected you have to be, but there are a lot of other factors, I'm sure, going on there. I mean, I, I would imagine there was the trauma of a loss of his mother and then the double trauma of his father being so remote to him, you know, to seek out companionship wherever you can, including people that are willing to use you as a scapegoat to make you their their martyr. That, to me, is the saddest thing about this. And I, I love the way how you draw the reader into his world and how this is happening, because I think it's very important that we look around ourselves and say, you know, the quiet kid down the block, how's he doing? You know, that kind of thing. We we never do that. And that's the important thing. And I feel that you kind of brought out in everyday America, whether you're living on, you know, the Tony side of the street or not, this is happening all around you. It could be anybody, you know. Yeah, and a lot of um, paramilitary and, and former military disenfranchisement and not enough job opportunities, and there's just a lot of factors that go into this. But, yes, it's it's a scary time for all of that <laughs> right now. Wow. Um, there's a lost innocence in, I keep coming back to the teens because I think they're kind of the linchpin for the whole story. Um there's an incident that happens, and I won't say what it is, but it, it to me it was really kind of heartbreaking because we've seen it, we've heard it, and uh, essentially it's something they did on social media, and somebody, t of course, recorded it, and then when it got recorded, it got passed around. When it got passed around, it was made public. When it was made public, obviously it ruined, uh, well, Jess's chance to go to a good college and several other people, and um, I also felt that, you know, when we talk about parents doing their helicopter thing. This was a perfect example of that. Um, it was ingenious, I thought, the way you came up with how it happened. Because, you know, kids aren't always aware of their surroundings as far as, you know, who is recording and how much have I had to drink and that kind of stuff. You know, if we ever did anything like that as teens, at least there was nobody recording it. So. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And now, I mean, in a flash, her bad choices are, you know, on Twitter, globally shared. So, yeah, it's a hard awakening, I'd say. And also, it shames her enough. It shames Jess enough that she wants to run away, which is where the plot truly crescendos, because here she wants to run away. Here, the cute boy living in the backyard, Tom, wants to run away. But there comes a realization in her world as to who he is and what he is. Yeah. Well, and I am kind of fascinated by the whole notion of what's beneath the surface of seemingly perfect lives. I mean, that's kind of my tagline. It's, it's where I find the stories because, I mean, if you look at these people, their lives seem perfect, right? And and nothing, especially Jess and Julie's, and even with Sandy and Doug, I mean, when he was the head of the mega church, I mean, they had a really good life on the surface. They're like, you know, living Doug's dream. But, you know, things can change quickly, and also all those secrets that you hide, it gets harder and harder to hide. It does. Like Roger found out. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, whereas the plot crescendos into destruction, there is redemption. I kept wondering how the book was going to end before I got to the end, obviously. I was thinking, okay, you've got these women. They're both in horrible situations as far as 
who they married, how they want to get out of their relationships, their marriages. And both of them sort of have these kind of like game plans to leave. And of course, it's none of the, to me, it was none of the typical, you know, all of a sudden the good person turns bad or has to, you know, instead there was redemption. And I like the fact that, you know, that most parents will do what they can to protect their children. And in this case, um, one of the fathers really came through, and then the other father pretty much saw the light of what he had created. Um, you bring it all together in a very sad kitchen, you know, where... <laughs> very sad kitchen. I know. You know Martha Stewart, honey. You know Martha Stewart. You kind of brought it to the dark place. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, sorry about that. I know I just picture her cookbooks. She was unpacking and everything. Yeah, it's, yeah. I know. It had to happen. It's what I write. <laughs> You said it. It had to happen. I know. It, like the Kirkus Review said something about whatever um, the fa- opposite of family values is, Kara Ruta's intent. You think that? I'm like, oh, thanks. Yeah, but I guess that's what I do. Yeah. It's a very sad, sad kitchen scene. Yes. <laughs> um, you're sort of like, I don't want to say master. I'll say mistress. Mistress of domestic psychological suspense. Well, I love it. To me, it's really fun, and I um, I hope to keep people staying up late and also, you know, shed a little light on some topics <laughs> along the way. So, yeah, hopefully that works. But, yeah, this is probably my darkest story, crescendo, as you would call it. I feel like, and again, probably because I was writing it during the pandemic, and, you know, you just had that, like, tenseness about you at all times when we didn't know that much, or no vaccines, and I don't know, I just kind of felt that, I think. Yeah. Well, I, I think you took all of our fears, wrapped them in a, yes, yes, wrapped them in a beautiful souffle, and then smashed it with a hammer. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, right, and that, that's what I said. I mean, I think I just had, I've been, you know, reading a lot about um, domestic <laughs> listener who hasn't picked up a Kara Rauta book, now you know what to expect. (laughs) Kara Rauta's novel, Somebody's Home, is in bookstores now. This is Josie Brown with Author Provocateur.